and welcome to the second series of Founder Chats, the podcast from Be Purple, the University of Brighton's entrepreneurship support service. In our first series, we talked mostly about the early stages of startup, and I interviewed eight diverse founders to get their tips and advice on starting a business. In series two, we look at what happens once your business is up and running, and we look to the experiences of entrepreneurs behind some well-established businesses. In this episode, I talked to Rosie Sherry, the founder of Ministry of Testing. Ministry of Testing is a global community of 22,000 software testers that was started in 2007. With a team of 13 people, Rosie runs ministry with its conferences, online training courses and meetups, while also bringing up five children with her husband and homeschooling. This is an insightful chat if you're interested in growing your own community and understanding the principles of getting it right. Here's Rosie. So I founded Ministry of Testing. Um, Going back early on in my career, one of my first jobs was uh, a software tester. So that's like a career path in in the tech world. You can be a developer, you can be a designer, you can also be a software tester. So testers find um, problems in software, essentially. Um, and as as my career went on uh, for a few years, I kind of um, I always felt that there was a lot going on for like web designers and developers. Um, online and conferences and all meetups uh, there were things happening but then you know I would go to all those events and I would always be the only tester out there um, or I would look for training and all the training was really corporate and overpriced and just like not what inspired me so um, I always knew that there was something there that could be improved and I ended up kind of uh, starting an online community um, around 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, started out as being called the Software Testing Club um, and I just, uh, I, I knew a few people in the testing community. I used a hosted um, platform, it's still around, it was called Ning. Yeah. Um, you know, it did the job, you know, I was kind of excited about the idea of you know, trying to build, a, you know, create a community around that um, and that was basically the you know the seed of it all I didn't like really plan I didn't you know I thought yeah I can I can maybe do something with this you know may, maybe make a bit of money but I didn't really know what I was doing and, and for me it was just like the the fun of experimenting and doing stuff online was the real motivator for me at the time and also just trying to figure out how to be a bit different from what was out there at the time. Um, so you know, we tried to be fun, we tried to be relaxed, we, we had like strict rules of like no salesy pitches within the community or the forum. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to get a lot of that. So just by kind of sticking to some rough guidelines and ethics, people started to see that we were trying to do something good and positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, like within the first couple of months, I had like a hundred people signing up, signing off, and I was like, "Yay, hundred people! That's great!" Mm-hmm. And then, then you know, after a year or something, I can't—I I don't remember the exact numbers, but it kind of grew and grew. Um, and it was like a thousand and ten thousand and stuff like that. So, so you know, it's all like you know, lots of funds, and and that was kind of the the foundation of me becoming this person in the software testing world that everyone knew so I'm, I was kind of you know how you can be famous in, in your own little world so mm-hmm. I'm kind of famous in, in the testing world so everyone knows Rosie mm-hmm. um, and 
So I did that until about 2011, and that was the point where I was like, this is taking up a lot of my time. I'm kind of getting a bit fed up with it, just being a bit of fun. So I, I, I set myself a challenge saying, I'm going to set it up as a company and I'm going to see how I can make make money. Um, and the first thing we did was um, we did a conference. Um, I was at Cambridge at the time, so I just did it in Cambridge because that was easiest for me and I thought there's enough of a hub tech-wise in Cambridge um, and it's close enough to, to London for, and other cities for people to get to. Um, so we did a f our first conference um, so that was at the beginning of 2012 that it actually happened. Uh, we called it Test Bash. Um, and yeah, we had like 60, 70 people turn up for that. Um, and it was, it was a really nice vibe to it because a lot of people already knew each other online but they had never actually met. So it was like there were lots of people like meeting for the first time. So there was a, this really good vibe about it. Um, so yeah, and then like fast forward, you know, 2019 now, seven years. It's like, um, I I guess for for me it's like I've tried my best to connect with the community and do good things for the community, and I think that's probably the I know it's a reason that like everything's like continued to work. Um, so now we're doing multiple conferences across the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, so like as an example, we've got um, we do one in Brighton, we do one in Manchester, we do uh, Netherlands, um, Germany, San Francisco, um, Sydney, and New Zealand. Okay. I think that's all of them. So it's, I start to kind of lose track a bit. Yeah. Um, and some some make more money than others. Others like when they're new, they don't really make much money at all. But um, that they're all built with the idea that they're sustainable, like they're not too expensive, but they're affordable and um, for people to attend, even if their company won't pay for them to go. Um, but, you know, the idea is that these are conferences that need to sustain us uh, as a business. Um, and then on top of that, we have an online learning platform that we've been building. Um, and we started that with the content from the conferences, so we've always recorded like all the talks from the conferences from, from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, originally we just stuck them up online for free, but as, as the conferences grew, um, we self-built, we started to invest in, into self-building our own platform to host the content and charge ac access to it. and. Mm -hmm also host other other content on there as well right so we've got um articles there or and we also have many um like guides and um, other people are now starting to develop courses so we have other people within the community who um, create their own courses and then they earn money from that as well right um, so that's my short introduction right. i think we've already got lots yeah. of questions um just yeah, curious with the so with the events all around the world, how are those getting organised? Is that are you, do you have a team base in the UK or do you have like is it part of the community that around the world that are helping sort of all hands yeah. to the pump to get it? Yeah, to so the whole reason that like the events exist is around the world is not because like we're going 
to you know we, we, I didn't sit out for like world domination yes. at all but um, because we've been so kind of connected with the community and there's that real like people there's that real thing that people believe in what we're doing and we've helped contribute to their professional life in a very positive way yeah. um, we constantly get people saying I want a test bash in my city right. or in my country um, and you know we've, we have a huge list of requests but most of them were like no sorry we just we just can't we, can, we can't do it but for some we've kind of, we kind of say okay yes let's do it um, and mostly we have kind of um, people in each country who, who are on the ground who are generally testers um, and they help us with logistics yeah. and the local network so they'll help us find a venue um, they would have been to test bashes before so they know the kind of venues that we have and stuff like that so you know, they, they will help us with stuff and we'll, we'll kind of they get paid for what they do as well mm-hmm. um, and yeah um, so, so you know it's not it's not easy like trying to launch in new countries and I think probably one we get because we get a lot of requests and people see a lot of test batches happen they think that they're naturally success but they're not all a success they don't always make much money especially right. to begin with so what are the factors that affect those that are successful and those that aren't ticket just ticket sales or? Uh, mostly ticket sales and some of it's like community vibe as well it's like when I think it's like when you're starting a new event in a new country you're almost starting from scratch with the community it's like yes there is some overlap and yes some people understand what the event is supposed to be but um, if you have too many new people attending an event for the first time and not enough or uh, previously people who know yeah. what it's all about then it can e- quite easily not have that community vibe and um, because the way the company's um, growing it's so much about the community so I think growing slowly is, is kind of key to the conference is working but also growing slowly means it's hard financially to do that mm-hmm. um, because it's you know if it's growing slowly it's not, not got as many attendees it's hard to get sponsors on board because it's smaller um, so it's like you know, it's, it's, you know just matching up the the numbers can be can be hard but as long as like the team is ready to commit to it long term generally I believe like each event will work yeah um, and that's pretty much like Brighton's our biggest one and we started it out as a one-day event and just each year it got a bit bigger a bit bigger and, and then we once it got to like 250 we, we added a second day onto it and um, so there's a workshop day and then conference day and this year we've added a third day to it and some training courses as well happened right. beforehand so it's like they do grow and each year we you know there is that opportunity to make it work better um, but then there's also the issue of essentially say got one in Brighton and we start one in Manchester and yes it's still under the same company but they're also competing for the attendees yeah. so as soon as we start growing to other locations, people now have a choice to not come to Brighton yes. and go to these other events that we also host. But you know, it's I find that interesting. Is that like, yes, they're still like our customers, but you know, it kind of take. I could have like kept Brighton like as the only one, for yes. example, yeah. and it would have, 
you know, succeeded and been much easier and probably really profitable as a single entity and people would have kind of flooded to it as maybe the only event every year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in hindsight, that would have been like a really easy life for me. But I chose to kind of follow what the community wanted. Mm-hmm. They were asking me for these things. So I've, you know, as, as you grow, you don't really think about these things as you're doing them, but it's interesting to see that in hindsight because I can, I, because I know who attends what. You can see people signing up to go to the Netherlands and not to Brighton. Right. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. Why are they going there and not to Brighton? You yeah. Know, it's like, there's, there's kind of, you know, a lot to try to understand about that. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, I'm happy that they're still coming. Whatever event we put on, you know, it's great that they're still coming. But, yeah, um, yeah it's just interesting from that, that aspect. Yeah, um, just to fill in a, a, a bit of a gap from like so when you left school, like how did you get into software in, engineering um, testing? Rather? Testing, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, I travelled a lot when I was younger, so my schooling was kind of like all over the place, um, and I kept, I I was born in London, but I left when I was nine, and I came back when I was eighteen. I had lived in Indonesia for a while in Colombia. Um, my mum's Colombian. So when I came back to the UK, I didn't really have any qualifications at all that kind of matched up to the UK system. Um, I ended up doing a couple of GCSEs, just the English and maths, just for the sake of like th- trying to figure out what am I going to do. I need GCSEs. I was going to do A-levels. I didn't end up doing it. But I just when I was 18, I just came back on my own. Um, my parents were still in Colombia. Um, and I just got a job. Um, in a bank at Lloyd's, Lloyd's TSB in Brighton. I did that for a couple of years until it drove me a bit mental. Um, and then my uh, boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, he was working in tech. Right. And I kind of, you know, I was trying to think of what can I do, and I was kind of interested in working in tech. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I managed to get a job as a software tester. He kind of introduced me to the company he was working with. And I managed to do that. So that was, you know, I had no qualifications or anything. Um, and somehow I managed to get a job as a tester. And like once you get, a, what, I, what I found is that once you get your first job in tech, people stop really caring about what qualifications you have because you already have that job. So I was like 19 or 20 at the time, maybe 20, I think. Um, so I was quite young, working in tech, no, you know, nothing, you know, no, no experience or qualifications. Um, and I just took it from there and just like, you know, I had a couple of jobs within the space of four years. It was a dot-com crash around that time, so things got a bit difficult um, then. Um, and also around that time I had my first child. So, you know, just trying to get back into work was quite quite difficult. Mm. Um, and, and that's partly why I started exploring the online stuff as well. I was trying to think of what can I do that isn't maybe going to a full-time job because it was, honestly, it was really difficult to get a job when you have kids. Mm. That's another story. It's a lot of discrimination against mothers out there. Um, so I, f- I found it really tough, so I just ended up doing my own thing. I worked a bit with my husband, husband as well, doing things with his business, and then I just ended up moving off towards doing my own my own thing. Uh-huh. 
And your husband's involved in ministry of testing now. Yeah. yeah, so we kind of swap roles. It's yeah. like first, like the first few years, I was helping him with his business. He stopped doing his business, and then I did my own thing for a while. And as it grew, I was like, well, you know, I've got enough money now. Can you come and help me build build the business? So he didn't join straight away, but um, he's he's very he's very good with he's with tech as a developer, and he's very good with business as well. So he's been he's been a real kind of support. In growing the business, and he ha- he hides away behind the scenes. He doesn't take much credit for anything, um, but you know he he d- he does deserve credit. But he he doesn't he doesn't look for it. I, I probably would have given up a long time ago. If, you know, if I hadn't had that support, because right. as a founder, it's like yeah. there's so many challenges that you, you end up banging your your head against the wall, and it's, it's yeah. hard to find someone to talk to who understands that. Yeah, I'm sure that's very helpful. Well, I'm just going to ask, like, what have been the biggest challenges that you've faced so along the way, and uh, apart from that support, like, how have you overcome them? The biggest challenge, I, I think, I think for me is probably um, growing a team, figuring out how to grow the business. I, I really kind of struggled with because for quite a while it was just myself, and then it was myself and, and my husband just the two of us and then some people who would help us organize events or would have a freelance designer who would help us with stuff um, and I, I think I think I, I struggle because part, partly I didn't really know what I wanted um, and I struggle because there's this like you know the community loves it so much so I, I feel like I need to please the community um, and I have like strong ethics around it. So I'm really not money driven, but I know we need money as a business to, to grow. Um, and I've got five kids now, so um, that's not easy. And when, when you have that amount of kids and you have a business that's pushing you in a direction where you don't really want it to go, or you do, but the commitment is so so massive. It's like, you know, you kind of end up almost in like paralysis of what am I supposed to do? How am I gonna How am I gonna grow this? Like, you know, the simple thing of um, people wanting events all around the world. For me, there's nothing more stressful than traveling all around the world when I've got all these kids at home. Mm. So I have to think about, well, do I take the kids with me? Do I take some of the kids with me? Do I leave them all at home with my husband? You know, how, how, how do I manage that? Mm. Um, and then traveling with kids is, you know, not... People often think, it's, oh, that must be fun traveling with kids, but actually it's really stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things are, like, in my head, it's like, you know, and I want to say yes to all the things and kind of make them happen, but you're like, how, how, how do I do it? And so I've, I found that, like, really kind of hard and I was quite torn about stuff um, and I think as a result so people people see what we have as being wonderful but they don't like see those internal struggles that I have as like yes it's wonderful but it's not necessarily what I want to do be doing personally mm. or what I set out to do I don't even know what I set out to do but um, I was basically trying to run everything and I wasn't enjoying running it because I was had so many hats on trying to do many different things and um, when you run a business you end up doing a lot of things that you don't actually enjoy mm. 
and that's fine for a while but if you let that go on so long it's like you know it's it's uh, it's tough mentally you know you know all sorts of um, things like from the perspective of mental, mental health it's like I found it I ended up find, I still find it difficult to switch off but you know it's like really di- there were points where I just like, couldn't switch off and always thinking about like the business mm. Mm. have you managed to find anyone else to talk to some of those jobs that you don't yeah, enjoy so much yeah so uh, I'm a much better place now um, but it's, it's been slow um, so it was, it was probably about four years ago I was struggling a lot um, and I knew I needed to hire people. It's not like I didn't know. Is that I knew I needed to hire people, and I had some money to hire people. But I was trying, and I was failing. And it was like you know, it's like one person was going to come on board. She agreed to come come on board, and then at the last minute she backed out, stuff like that. You know, so those kind mm. of things were happening. Um, so it's not that I wasn't trying to get the help, but it was hard to find the right kind of help. Mm. Um, and I felt like in the business world, lots of people say, "Yeah, just get like virtual assistants to help you." I was like, "No, it's like that's not what I needed." You know, it's like they wouldn't. Ha- I didn't feel like they would help mm. at all for, for the business that I have. Um, but um, so one of the guys who was helping me, who set up Test Bash, which is the name of the event um, in Manchester, um, he did that for a couple of years. So we had like a nice relationship going on um, and actually it turned out he's he's the person who's kind of he's now the CEO so I hired him as the CEO to help build the company yeah. and um, so we're 10 employees now um, since he's joined right um, so the past we probably two years ago we started hiring more people so yeah so it was probably me my husband and Richard the CEO for a while even though he wasn't officially the CEO he started taking on more more things mm-hmm. um, he's a tester himself he's you know he really knows like everything that goes on um, he's really passionate about it and he's, he's, he's got the right kind of um, desires to take to take the company forward mm-hmm. um, but basically, it's like we worked together first on, on one of the conferences for a couple of years, and um, from that, he started taking on more and more, and um, we had kind of agreed that he was going to take over the role at some point of running, running the company, because I, I knew in my heart I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I kind of almost being dragged along in a wave, you know, along with everything, and I knew I wasn't happy in my heart doing that. Mm. So basically, like for the past two or three years, it, my, my whole focus has been trying, in my head mentally, thinking, how can I make this business run without me? Because mm-hmm. it, need, it needs to survive without me. And it's not because I don't care about it or don't want to be involved. It's just that it's kind of grown beyond me and beyond who I am. Mm-hmm. But I want to stay committed to... The, the team who's now working there, but also like everyone else, we kind of serve all the testers that we support. Mm. Um, it's still so much work to be done, and I believe that it's needed. And um, Ministry of Testing is like that, that place where that's going to happen. Mm. Um, and yeah, and and also it's like we're a team of ten, so like most most of the people have come that we've hired have come from within the community. 
um, there's some roles that are naturally harder to hire. Right. So like we've got we hired a, f- a accounts person um, last year, so she's not she didn't used to be a tester. She's always been an accounts person, but she she's local to here. Okay. Um, but I think it's only there's I'm trying to think there's probably two other people who have, who haven't who don't have backgrounds as testers who now work with the company. Right. Um, but everyone else has come within the, from within the community, which is nice mm. because you know it's almost like we knew them beforehand, and you could see that they really cared about care about what what we do. Mm. Um, and they're not all still testers, but you know some one was a tester and she's now doing community stuff for testers and event stuff. Another um, used to be a tester, but she's. She loves, you know. She really wanted to move into marketing and social media. Right. So she's doing that for us. Um, so it's really nice to have that um, mix of ta- talent within yeah. the team. It's like because then I, I know that like if I was to hire like a marketing or salesperson, um, it would be really hard to find someone who who really understands what testing is. So it's nice that we've managed to hire someone who wanted to move into that role, and we've supported her grown it into into it mm. so that, you know I find that interesting mm. um, yeah. yeah um so for somebody as I say starting out and getting to that stage where they need to bring other people into their business to help are, are there any sort of observations you've had from being involved in this hiring and getting other people involved of like any pitfalls to avoid or things that you've that happened that you think uh, you could you could save somebody some time, or, or danger signals, perhaps, so they don't mm-hmm. get the wrong person involved in the in the business. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure for like the typical kind of company for for hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've kind of been lucky that we've known a lot of the people that we've hired um, before employing them. Yeah, but I would definitely say it's like delay as long as possible before hiring full time employees because like once you commit to like full-time proper employment it's like it's a much bigger commitment um, and I would also say um, try to hire freelance as much as you can try to get people even if they're in full-time jobs to help you in their spare time get a feel for who they are as people and how they work um, because um, to be honest that's for, for most of the pe- people that we've worked with, at least the foundation team is like we've always worked with them a bit before actually considering employing them. Mm. And we've never really interviewed anyone, apart from our accounts person, we've never really interviewed anyone for a job. We just offer jobs. So we're like, right, we know you, we know you can do this job. Mm-hmm. Will you come work for us? Um, so it's really nice to be able to, to be in that position. Um, and you know, I, f- I find the whole kind of interview process really kind of quite scary. So, like when we had to hire the uh, accounts person last year, it's like I kind of felt it was the right decision, but there were so many doubts in the back of my mind. It's like I've met this person once, my husband's met her once, we both interviewed her, but that's about it. Mm. And what else can we go on apart from, you know, yeah, we can ch- chase references. But really, we don't know how she works. We don't know what her character is like. Mm. Um, and it's not fair on her to expect to take time off to 
you know, how, how much ta- how much time can you expect to spend with the person um, before you hire them? And mm. it's like when you're hiring someone, you're, you're working with them um, quite closely for a long period of time. And I guess the only other thing I would add is that I feel like I've been quite lucky with Sarah, who we've hired, but um, I would probably really like to see the whole interview recruitment process change because it just feels really risky as you know, when you're hiring someone that's to me it's a commitment to, to this person mm-hmm. um, and it just you know how, how I, I don't know what the solution is but I just feel like really lucky that we have a community that we can tap into and get if there's any way that you can get to know a person better before hiring and mm. um, I think that would reduce any kind of risk in a business yeah, it's really interesting to find out how you've grown sort of very sort of organically and through the community. And it made me wonder, do you have things like, for example, do you have a marketing, like a formal marketing plan? Um, I was going to ask you how you market it, <laughs> or is it just similar kind of um, organic and community driven? Yeah, so it, to be honest, it's all organic. Mm. Um, and there's probably like a driving question like behind everything we do is like, is this useful to the people we serve? Are we doing the right thing? You know, and is our behaviour compatible on a daily basis with what we want to build? Um, but marketing-wise, um, I'm kind of a self-taught marketing person. I love marketing. It's kind of like this thing that I found along the way, um, and I love community. So community and marketing really has become my specialism. Right. Um, I've built another couple of communities on the side as well in in very different kind of things but mm. I, I really love the concept of, of community um, and I think to be honest marketing gets too much credit for what what they do and I think I really think that if more people put effort into building like communities then marketing and sales becomes easy so mm-hmm. we've, we've never had a salesperson we don't you know, I, I don't really want to hire a salesperson Lots of people in our team do sales. Our events person does sales. Our marketing person does sales. I do sales. Mm-hmm. Our CEO does sales. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone does, but we're all happy to chip in and, and make stuff happen or point people in the right direction. Um, and we've never spent money on advertising or anything like that. It's like the community does it for us. It's all word of mouth. It's all online. It's all, and, and it's like there's nothing um, kind of. Um, Everything's really genuine, and people can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so give us an idea of what a typical week would look like for you. Um, I imagine it's quite. If there, there may not be a typical week, um, but you know, how do you spend your time uh, working yeah. on your business? Yeah. Um, because I'm trying to like step back a bit. Um, my week isn't as typical as everyone else's week in, in the business but at the moment I have two dedicated days that I work that I commit to working on the business um, and I work from home the whole team works remotely so I work from home mm. um, just from my laptop anywhere my laptop is I can I can do work mm. um, I hook up once a week with um, uh, to talk about marketing type stuff and community type stuff with um, a couple of members in the team um, every couple of weeks we have like a what we call a board boss call with this, the, the CEO 
and we just hook up every couple of weeks just to talk about what's going on. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, me, him, and Graham, who's my husband. Um, and yeah, mostly, you know, it's like, uh, because, yeah, just because I'm, I'm trying to step back a bit, I'm like mostly focused on trying to ensure that things are happening. Um, I found it really hard at first not to just go in and do stuff. It's like I could go in and, you know, make stuff happen myself. But because I've been trying to build a team, I've had my approach has been and say, I'm I'm not going to do these jobs. I'm going to make sure that I delegate the tasks um, and make sure that the team is able to um, do do all the stuff without me because I you know I can do lots of the things but I don't have the headspace or the time anymore. Um, but for the business to grow, it's in the best interest of the business for everyone else to be educated and know what to do. And initially, it was me handing over a lot of the knowledge to Richard, um, and perhaps on, from a marketing and community perspective to a couple of the team members. Mm. Um, but I, ca I kind of feel like at this point, most of that is done. Um, so mostly, these days I'm kind of like sitting back and watching stuff and I'm looking for holes or things that might not be getting done or things that might you know, things fall through the cracks um, things are always really busy there's always a lot to do um, and I, I, I'm kind of like trying to encourage everyone to dot the I's and cross the T's kind of thing what sort of size is the community at now at this point in terms of membership and Membership is like, uh, I think it's like 25,000 registered members. Uh, yeah. So when you look back at, you've been, something's been built here um, over time and you've played a hugely significant part in that. Yeah. Um, when you look back at and reflect upon how that's happened, how have you got to this? Like what's been the key drivers of your success with this project yeah. that you started? What do you mean, like personal qualities would you sort of yeah. look to as you've been the have led to this situation? Yeah. I'd, say, I'd say there's two aspects. There's one, one there's, there was like a definite need for what, I'm, I'm, what I've created. Um, but to make something happen, I, thi I think just partly just uh, the, the way the world is going. We've kind of kept ahead, I believe, of the curve um, on how to do things. So like we're a complete remote company. Um, we put people before business, and we put the community ideas before business. So it's like, I believe in all of that, and the team now believes in all of that, and that, that's who we are. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I don't know if I can actually pinpoint like that I decided to do it this way, but it's just kind of evolved over time. It's like, let's try to do the, do the right thing. So really, to be honest, I think it's down to ethics. It's like people see, what we're trying to do is the right kind of thing and um, that's what's driven everything, our success. And, but it's like sticking to, to the ethics of things and, and constantly always making those decisions that um, are ethical. Um, it's, you know, it's easy, easily said. So, you know, it's, easy, it's easier to say rather than do. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's easy to you know it's easy to just like um, not invest in your people or not um, 
not give, give away scholarship tickets or stuff like that. You know, these are things we do for the, you know, there's a lot of really positive things we invest in the community for and we could say, you know, we could make financial decisions and say, no, that costs this, it's, there's no return on investment for this decision, mm -hmm. but we don't think like that. We're like, no, this is the right thing to do and we'll make the money work, we'll be all right. Um, and we'll trust that you know it will help us in other ways. Um, so being able to stick to that, I think, is really key. And most businesses won't won't do that. They'll, you know, they'll be like, you know, they 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 connect um, data and money too much to, to to humans. And I think companies do that too too much. You know, they try to validate every single decision. Whereas I think because I'm so committed to community and the people aspect is like no it's like let's think people first mm -hmm. and everything else will come mm -hmm. otherwise there's no point doing it it's no fun it's not you know trying to measure everything is it's really not mm -hmm. my idea of success okay. you've given lots of advice already in the, in the course of sort of last 20 30 minutes um, but is there anything any other sort of general advice that you would give to a student or graduate that's starting up their own business and tips yeah. that we haven't yeah. touched on yet? I very much live in the world of what I call bootstrapping, um, indie hacker type approach to, to building a business. It's like, um, I'd, I'd recommend them to actually go to indiehackers.com and it's a great community for, for business people um, and basically these are people who are, who have, um, it's lots of like podcasts and stories and forum kinds kind of things on there but basically it's like um, people are trying to build businesses from scratch without funding in their own kind of way and they're trying to figure things out so there's a lot of people sharing stories um, and I think that's quite powerful because I think sometimes we can get carried away with and, uh, kind of uh, getting too distracted by the successful people that are out there the, the Facebooks, the Snapchats, the you know these what people call unicorns, mm. whereas most people will never um, achieve that. Um, I wouldn't ever want to achieve that because it comes with huge commitment and huge stress. Um, and so yeah, I'd encourage people to to think about smaller businesses. Um, some people call them lifestyle businesses. I just call them just like good businesses that can bring you work-life balance. Uh, keep you sane, keep you happy, keep money coming in, uh, keep you in control of the things you're doing. Um, and it's just, to me, it's just like such a better way of building a business. Um, so, yeah, in, in dhackers.com or Google Bootstrapping, mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a whole kind of community out there of people who, you know, sharing ideas. And I think sharing understanding what people are doing now and listening to people's stories now um, and not necessarily success stories some people are you know they're sharing like the first sale or you know they're sharing the challenges that they have and I think there's so much to learn mm. from that if you're building a business mm. rather than looking at the bigger pictures like if you can see people like struggling or doing things on a daily basis and there's, there's a lot to learn and um, and, and there's so much, I think, as well in, in, in the world of business and tech, so many mm. different solutions or tools out there that you can use to actually grow a business. It's changing all the time. 
So, you know, it's great to have the foundations of what it takes to have a business, but it changes, you know, every single year. And there's so many ways you can make money. Um, that it's, you know, I think it's just great to keep on top of it. Mm. And is there anyone in particular that sort of inspired you in business? The approach you've taken? To be honest, I, I really... Um, in the early days, I used to read a lot of Seth Godin. Um, I think Tara Hunt at the time, who was into communities, um, was someone like I, I aspired, uh, who inspired me. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they were like talking about the kind of things that kind of related to me. But these days, I'm more inspired by the the indie hacker type people mm-hmm. who are doing things and just making something out of nothing so um, a lot of them I, I can't even remember their names or their projects but it's like you know just like I, I just find it inspiring seeing what other people are doing and how they're doing it mm-hmm. um, and just this idea of like um, what do you say worshipping other people I've I'm probably just getting a bit old it's like I just don't believe in that and it's like there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of people who will shout about how successful they are or all the great things that they've done, but it's all in hindsight. You know, they've had the time to kind of do stuff, and, the, and then they can cherry pick the, the bits that, that sound great, and then people end up you know, thinking how wonderful it is. I want to be like them, but the, the, the bigger picture isn't isn't there. Um, so again, it goes back to community. As I you know, say, like finding the right community rather than the, than the people. So it's like communi- communities inspire me more than like trying to look for the, for the specific people within that community. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And final question. Um, tell us what's been your happiest day as an entrepreneur <laughs> and also what, what has been a bad day for you in this long <laughs> journey? Happiest day? Uh, well, hopefully the happiest day will come soon when I can step back more. But I feel, to be honest, it's like when, when I've, that, with Richard coming on board as CEO, that was like a really positive step for me. Yeah. As it was like a huge relief off of my, sh- my shoulders. Um, not only, I wouldn't say like the day was the happiest, but it's more like it's been like a year. So I, I think I don't think it's right to say the day I hired him was the happiest day, but yeah, that's how, how it's played out. Things feel like they're going in the right direction. I feel like I can rely on him. He's, he's doing a good job. Um, I've supported him in the transition as well. Um, it hasn't always been easy, um, so I'm quite happy personally about that. Um, and the hardest day was it? Um, mm. Again, I, you know, I probably wouldn't say hardest day, but just like mentally, it can be hard mm. trying to switch off generally. Mm. Um, so days when it's hard to switch off are less and less at the moment. But there are times where you just, you know, it's just really hard to think. You know, because when you're running the company or building the company, it's like everything's in your head and you mm. feel like you have to manage it all. And that's, to me, it's hard to manage sometimes. But... Mm. Um, or t- yeah, 
don't know if that helps. Yeah, no, that does. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. That thanks for coming, Dan, and sharing uh, your story and so a really refreshing perspective. I think uh, I know some people will really engage with your approach. Uh, so. Thank you for that, Rosie. Thank you. Uh, do, you, do, you want, do you want to tell us, what, can we keep track of you? Is there, are you on Twitter or any, anywhere like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter, Rosie Sherry. Yeah. Um, or just Google me, Rosie Sherry, generally. I've got uh, rosiesherry.com as a blog. Okay. You can find me on. Um, or Ministry of Testing as well. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you. So that was Rosie's story. To find out more about Ministry of Testing, go to ministryoftesting.com. And the best way to keep track of Be Purple is to go to bepurple.co.uk and sign up for our newsletter. We're also on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook using the account name UOBBPurple. That's B-E-E-P-U-R-P-L-E. Thanks for listening.